Welcome to Anchor. If you are our guest today, we're so glad to have you. Thanks for worshiping with us. If you're joining us online, welcome. So glad you decided to tune in. My name is Ryan. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, and we have, oh, really quickly, I wanted to reiterate something Dylan said. That Church Center app, uh, or really almost anything that we talk about, you can, if you need more info, you can go to our website and find it. Um, there, like, Jerry runs that, and he's made it really easy. He probably hates that I called him out by name, but um, he runs that, and he's made it really easy for us to be able to go to the website and find all the info we need. So if you ever need info about something, I would check the website first. So um, we have been in a series. We, we kicked off a series a few weeks ago, um, just the Gospel of John, where we're walking verse by verse through the Gospel of John in order to know it better. We want to understand it better and, and understand how it applies to our lives. See, one of our core values here at Anchor is learning. We want to be students of the Word of God in order to know the Word of God so that we can obey it, because obeying the Word of God leads to success. It lead, we win when we obey. And so um, we've been walking verse by verse through the Gospel of John, and we have not even gotten through the first chapter yet. Um, <clears throat> But today we are going to conclude the first chapter of the Gospel of John. Um, but there's a lot in there today. And so today, no funny stories, no anecdotes. Um, we're just going to go for it. Um, the title of my message today is called Come Follow Me. Uh, and we're going to dive deep into uh, there and then. Um, so if you don't know what there and then is, I believe that if we're going to understand how the, the Bible applies to our life here and now, we first have to understand what was going on there and then. We have to understand the world of the Bible if we're going to understand the words of the Bible. And today we're going to deep dive into there and then. And so, um, yeah, I have to warn you, it is a deep dive. And so there are going to be times where it seems like, what is he talking about? How does this apply to the, the verses that we read and all that? Like, I promise you it matters. It's all come together and make a really profound point. So just stick with me. Um, but before we dive into the scriptures uh, today, let's pray. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we love you and we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that um, you gave us your word to help us to know you better and that we might have success in this life. I pray, God, that you would open our hearts to receive the word that, that you have for us today, to receive the message. Um, and, and I pray, God, that we would take that message and we would hide it deep inside of us and it would never leave us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. If you have a Bible, you can open it up or turn it on to John chapter 1. We're starting in verse 35. We're going to go all the way through verse 51. So it's a large chunk, but... Again, stick with me. It's going to pay off. So uh, John chapter 1, starting in verse 35, it says this. The following day, John was again standing with his two disciples. This is John the Baptist. He was standing with his two disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want, he asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying, and they remained with him the rest of the day. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, we've found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Jesus. 
Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, Your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. So really quickly, I want to look at that word rabbi again. Look at that word rabbi really quickly. The scriptures qualify what it means. A rabbi means teacher, but more specifically, it means teacher of Torah, teacher of the law of God. It's not talking about like a math teacher or a science teacher, right? It's very specific, a teacher of the law of God. And in the New Testament, there's 15 times the word rabbi is used, and every single time it's used to describe Jesus, except one time. There's one time in the New Testament where the word rabbi is used, and it's not talking about Jesus. It's actually Jesus talking about what a rabbi is and and who is a rabbi and that kind of thing. So I want to look at that really quickly. Matthew chapter 23, verses 7 through 10. This is the words of Jesus. It says, they love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi. He's talking about religious leaders. They love to be called rabbi. Don't let anyone call you rabbi, for you have only one teacher, and all of you are equal as brothers and sisters. And don't address anyone here on earth as father, for only God in heaven is your father. Don't let anyone call you teacher, for you have only one teacher, the Messiah. So, A rabbi is a teacher of the law of God, okay? Now, there's also something else that went on just just in that portion of scripture we just read. Um, Jesus changed Simon's name. Now, that might not seem like a big deal. In scripture, in the world of the Bible, that is a huge deal, okay? So I I have to say say this. When when a human changes someone's name, it it speaks to the authority of the person the giver of the new name. Does that make sense? So I think in in 1 Kings, one of the kings of Israel changes somebody's name, and that speaks to the authority of the king, right? He's powerful. He's in control. He can even change somebody's name, right? When a human changes somebody's name, it speaks to the authority of the giver. When God changes somebody's name, it speaks to a character change in the person receiving the new name, okay? Here, The scriptures are making a huge claim. Jesus has changed. So Jesus is God in human form. The scriptures are saying Jesus has authority. Jesus has power. But he's also changing the character of Peter. So there's like this, like the readers in the ancient world would have read this and been like, mind blown, right? So um, that's what's going on in this. Let's keep going. Verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, come, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, we've found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathanael. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. As they approached, Jesus said, now here's a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. How do you know about me, Nathanael asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Then Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. There is that, that rabbi word again. Keep that in your mind. Jesus asked him, do you believe this just because I told you I'd seen you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, I tell you the truth. You will all see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. So this portion of scripture is about Jesus calling his disciples, about Jesus identifying the people that he wants to follow him. Andrew, uh, who followed John the Baptist first, according to this. Simon Peter, who was Andrew's brother. Philip from Bethsaida and Nathaniel, who's also from Bethsaida. Um, 
It doesn't identify all 12 disciples by name, but this is where Jesus starts to gain followers, right? Like, this is where Jesus becomes an, an influencer, to put it in social media terms, you know? Um, he starts to gain followers. There's, there's a ton going on here. There's a ton going on, and I want to teach for a few moments to help us understand how this applies to our life. Because um, there's a very important principle here that if we could understand it, I believe it could change everything for us. It could change everything. So the very first thing, go back to that, that rabbi, that rabbi thing, that rabbi word. Um, rabbi meant teacher of Torah. And to give you a little context, in the Jewish world, in the Bible, everyone aspired to be a rabbi. Everyone wanted to be a rabbi. It was the goal of every single person to go, go to school to one day be a rabbi. So, um, like, I, I have to point out, like, their life revolved around the Word of God. And rabbi is a teacher of the Word of God, right? Their life revolved around the Word of God. It's not like our lives. Our lives revolves around, I mean, just culturally, revolves around money, success, education, right? Like, we go to school to one day get a good job so we can have a lot of money and live comfortably, right? Not them. They went to school so that they could one day be a teacher of the word of God. Their lives revolved around the word of God. And it was every person's ambition to one day become a rabbi. Um, so their schooling wasn't like our schooling either, right? They didn't study math. They didn't study, um, like, there was no science to study. They didn't study the history of other cultures. Their schooling consisted of this, the scriptures. Their textbook was the Old Testament, Genesis through Malachi, and their only assignment was memorization, memorizing. This is the Jewish educational system. At six years old, you would go to the local synagogue, and five days a week, you would begin reading, listening to, meditating, memorizing the first five books of the Bible, okay? This first level of schooling is called Bet Sefer, okay? Bet Sefer, it translates to house of the book, and ages six to 10 went, went to school, went to this Bet Sefer level of schooling to learn the first five books of the Bible, to memorize them. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, memorized. Six to ten years old. My son is nine years old. I, I couldn't imagine him having those memorized word for word. But that's what these kids did. Five days a week they would go um, to, to memorize the scriptures. And I don't know about you, but that makes me a little insecure about my commitment to knowing scripture. Um, at the end of Bet Sefer, at ten years old, they would take an oral test called remez. Okay? Remez is a Hebrew word that means hint, but... Remez was a, a witty way of testing somebody's knowledge of something. So um, they would, uh, many times a remez test would, uh, it involved answering a question with another question. I'll give you an example. If I was to test you, remez, and we were to do this, I'd say, Dylan, who does God want to save? And instead of you giving me a direct answer, you would answer my question with a question. Well, Ryan, what does John 3.16 say? And me knowing, me having John 3.16 memorized, I would say, well, Dylan, what about Luke chapter 5, verse 31? And I wouldn't, I wouldn't say what Luke 5.31 is. I would just ask you, what about that? You know, let you think about it. You having the scriptures memorized, you would then say, well, Ryan, all I know is the Lord isn't really 
being slow about his promise. And you would quote part of another verse that would tell me the answer I'm looking for, which is 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent, right? So this is remez. This is a witty way to, to discover if somebody knows their stuff or not. And this is how um, students would... Um, be tested in their knowledge of their memorization, right? In, in this Bet Sefer school, six to 10, they would, they would um, go back and forth to, to test their knowledge. And uh, only the best of the best went on to the next level of school. If you weren't the best, then you were told, go ply your father's trade, which means go join the family business. You don't have what it takes to be a rabbi. Go join the family business. And so only the best of the best, the most elite students would go on to the next level of schooling, um, which is called Bet Talmud. Bet Talmud is for ages 10 to 14. Uh, and in this level of schooling, students already had the first five books memorized, right? They would spend the next four years memorizing the rest of Scripture, the rest of the Old Testament. I'm talking Joshua and Judges. I'm talking Psalms and Proverbs. I'm talking First and Second Chronicles. I'm talking all 12 of the prophets books memorized by age 14. So ages 6 to 14, they spend memorizing Scripture. Memorizing Scripture. And at the end of Bet Talmud, when you're 14 and you've memorized it all, you take that Ramez test again. And only the best of the best of the best go on to the next, the last level of schooling. So if you make it through Bet Sefer, you make it through Bet Talmud, you would then begin Bet Midrash. And Bet Midrash was for ages 14 to 17. And um, if you were smart enough to make it this far, if you were fortunate to make it this far, you would be given the opportunity to go to a rabbi and say, hey, I want to learn how to do what you do. I see what you do as a rabbi. I want to do that. And so this rabbi would then spend time grilling you and asking you all sorts of questions, another form of a remez test to see if you had what it takes to be like him. So um, at the end of this, this interaction, a rabbi would decide, yes, I want to be your teacher, or no, you don't have what it takes to follow me. And, and so uh, if, if a rabbi decided, no, you don't have what it takes, a student would then go to another rabbi and find, do I have what it takes to follow him? No, go to another. And this would happen until a rabbi said yes, or until there were no more rabbis to ask, and then you would go apply your father's trade. But if a rabbi did say yes, if a rabbi said yes, he was agreeing to become your teacher, and he was agreeing to teach you how to do what he did. This, this would be called taking on his yoke, okay? Uh, a yoke is a rabbi's interpretation of scripture. Side note, understanding this changes how we view Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, Take my interpretation of scripture upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke, my interpretation of scripture is easy. And the burden I give you is light. Kind of changes the way we, we, we read that, right? So if a rabbi said, yes, you can sit under my teaching, this was an endorsement saying, I think as a rabbi, you have what it takes to be like me. I think you have what it takes to follow me. And so a student in Bet Midrash would 
um, who just got a yes from, rabbi, from a rabbi would devote the next few years of their life to learning how to do everything the rabbi does exactly the way the rabbi does it, okay? And I, I'm talking everything. If the rabbi goes for a stroll, you go for a stroll. If the rabbi ate something, you ate the same thing. If the rabbi, you know, was kicking rocks, you kick rocks. If, if the rabbi had to go to a bathroom, you find a place and you make it happen because you want to do exactly what the rabbi is doing. You want to be just like that rabbi. The goal of Bet Midrash was learning to be like the rabbi that you sat under. So this is the Jewish educational system. It's strict, it's tough, it's exclusive, and again, very, very, very few people actually made it to the end. They actually made it to their goal of being a rabbi. Um, it's also worth noting that rabbis did not seek out their own disciples. It was not a common, th it was actually very, very, very uncommon for a rabbi to seek out their own disciples. Disciples always went to try to ask the rabbi, can I follow you? Can I follow you? Can I follow you? Um, so keep that in mind as we go. So with all this information, I want to go back to the scriptures and I want to look at a different account of Peter and Andrew meeting Jesus. Um, to help us understand better what's going on and, and them following and, and all that, what, like, what that has to do with any of this. So Matthew chapter 4, you can turn there if you'd like. It'll be up on the screens uh, if not. Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 18. It says, One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Why did they fish for a living? Because they didn't have what it takes to become a rabbi. And at some point in their schooling, they were told, you're not good enough. Go join the family business. What's the family business? Fishing. He saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. They left their nets at once. Uh, keep, keep going, verse 21. A little further up the shore, he saw two brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, repairing their nets. Why were James and John sitting in a boat repairing fishing nets? Because at some point in their schooling, they were told, you're not good enough. You don't have what it takes to be a rabbi. Go join the family business. So they're in this boat with their, their dad repairing nets. And he called, he called to them, come follow me. Come, you called to them too, come follow me. They were sitting in their boat fishing. They were repairing nets fit, uh, because... They didn't have what it takes to be a rabbi, so they were told at some point, go ply your father's trade. You aren't good enough. Verse 22, immediately they followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. So Simon, Peter, and Andrew left their nets at once. James and John immediately dropped what they were doing. They left the boat immediately and followed Jesus. Now, back to our passage um, Back to our passage in John, Jesus looked at Philip and he said, come follow me. And he did immediately. Like, why would they do that? Why would they drop everything and follow Jesus? And you might hear that and be like, well, Pastor Ryan, 
It was Jesus. Of course they're going to follow him. But they didn't know Jesus was the Messiah. They didn't know that Jesus was the son of God. He was just some stranger to them at this point in the story. Why would these guys leave everything and follow a complete stranger? Well, they knew that he was a rabbi. So John chapter 1, verse 38, they, they replied, rabbi, right? They identified Jesus as a rabbi, as a law-abiding Jew. Jesus would have worn specific clothing that would have identified him as a rabbi. So it was really easy for people to see this guy's a teacher of the law. So why did, why did they follow him? Remember, it was every person's aspiration to become a rabbi. Every person's aspiration. And now a rabbi's coming and asking me to follow him? Of course I'm going to follow him. Think, you think about it for a second. If you had a dream that was dead, you had a dream that you said goodbye to a long time ago, and somebody with authority and somebody with like status came to you and said, no, your dream's not dead. I can help you realize your dream. Just, just come learn from me. Wouldn't you do it? I would do it. Their dream was dead. Their dream of being a rabbi was dead, but a rabbi came to them and said, I think you have what it takes. I think you can follow me. I think you can do what I do. So of course they're going to leave everything and follow him. So this is the, the context of the scriptures that we read about following Jesus and why like, it's such a big deal and what was going on. Like, there was so much more going on than we knew. So how does this apply to us? It's a, a great, great, great question, and I want to point something out. Like, yeah, why were they fishing? Because they didn't have what it takes, right? They weren't good enough to, to be rabbis. They, like, this is the story of all the disciples. All the disciples that Jesus called were all fishermen, or they were all doing something else. Like, one of them was even a tax collector, right? Tax collectors were hated. They were scum. And Jesus said, I think you have what it takes to, to be like me. I think you, you can do what I do. That's the story of all of Jesus' disciples. Jesus picked the JV. Jesus picked the B team. Jesus picked the scrubs that nobody thought could do anything. He said, you know what? I'm going to change the world with a group of misfits. That gives me hope because I'm a screw-up, because I'm on the JV, because I'm a B-teamer, because I'm a misfit that can't get anything right. And Jesus still calls me to follow him. He still chooses me. If you feel like that, if you feel like you're on the JV, you're not good enough, you don't quite stack up, you're a B-teamer, you're a misfit, like you just can't get anything right, you're in luck because you're the exact kind of person Jesus is looking for. You're exactly who he's looking for. There's another passage I want to look at today, um, and I want to see if it affects the way we read about the life of, of Jesus and, and his disciples and their relationship. Uh, turn to your Bibles, if you will, to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, um, we're going to start in verse 22. Um, it's a pretty well-known story, um, and I want to maybe help, help us understand it in a little bit different of a way. Matthew 14, 22. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. So they, Jesus was ministering to a crowd of people. His disciples were with him, and they were pretty much done. So Jesus told his disciples, 
get in the boat, go across the Sea of Galilee to the other side, and I'll meet you there. Um, so he dismissed the crowds. After he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. So, again, Jesus sends his disciples across the Sea of Galilee, and um, he stays back, and a big storm comes. A big storm comes, and it's violent, and they're all, they're all afraid. It's like, they're like, we're cooked. We're done for. Like, what are we going to do? And then they see somebody walking towards them at like three in the morning freaking them out right verse 26 but when the disciples saw him walking on the sea they were terrified and it said uh, and said it's a ghost and they cried out in fear so they saw jesus walking on water at in the middle of the night that's already terrifying right uh, somebody defying the law of laws of physics is already terrifying but I need to add a little bit more context. In, in that world, they saw deep waters as evil. It represented evil. Deep waters were ominous. They were chaotic. And where were they? They were on the Sea of Galilee, which is considered deep water. And so not only was this person walking on water in the middle of the night, they were also in the midst of evil, in the midst of chaos. They were freaked out. Verse 27, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. I've always thought verse 28 was strange. Why on earth would, Pete, would Peter's response, so Jesus says, don't be afraid, it's me. Why, why is his response, well, if it's you, tell me to come out to you. Why, why would that be his response? just never made any sense to me until I learned about the Jewish educational system. Remember Bet Midrash, a disciple sitting under the tutelage of his rabbi. What did every disciple want? To be just like his rabbi, to do everything his rabbi did. What did Peter see his rabbi doing? Peter saw his rabbi walking on water. He's like, you know what? I want to walk on water too. I want to do what he's doing. Verse 29, Jesus, he said, come. Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. So Peter wants to be like his rabbi. And he says, Jesus, if it's you, tell me to come out to you. And what was Jesus' response? Nope, stay from the boat, stay there. He's like, no. He's like, all right, come on. You want to be like me? Come on. I think you can do it. I called you, remember? I think you can be like me. Come on. Verse 30, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, I was always taught that when Jesus asked Peter, why did you doubt, that um, Peter was doubting Jesus. That's what I was taught. Um, but who was afraid and who was sinking? Is Peter. Jesus wasn't sinking. So who did Peter doubt? It's my, it's my submission to you today that Peter didn't doubt Jesus. Peter doubted himself. Peter doubted that he could be like Jesus. So to put it in my own words, Jesus is saying, Peter, you don't trust me. 
Peter, why don't you trust me? I think you can be like me. I think you have what it takes to be like me. Why don't you think that? Why don't you believe it? Again, Jesus is one of two known rabbis that has called his own disciples in history. Two, two known rabbis. And the reason is because Jesus believes that anyone can follow him. Jesus believes anyone can do what he does. I don't know where you're at today uh, in your spiritual journey, but Jesus is calling you to be like him because he believes you can be like him. The title of my message is Come Follow Me. Jesus believed that the B-teamers could be like him. Jesus believed the JV could be like him. Jesus believes you and I can be like him. He's calling us to that. He'll never stop calling us to that. He believes you have what it takes to be just like him. Worship team, you can come to the platform. Um, there's, there's something else. There's uh, something else I want to point out. We're almost done. Um, go back to our original portion of scripture. John chapter 1, verse 43 and 44. Uh, it says, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, come, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. So Andrew, Simon Peter, Philip, and even Nathaniel, right? Because Philip found Nathaniel there. They're all from Bethsaida. Now, Bethsaida is a tiny fishing village of about 600 people. It's tiny. It's nothing. It's nowhere. It's, I, you know, probably wasn't even on a map. This is like saying um, Joe and Bob and Fred and Mike from Dagsboro. Right? I'm not putting down Dagsboro. Like, there's nothing wrong with Dagsboro. I'm just trying to make the point, like, it's tiny, and there's not really a whole lot there, and, and nobody really does anything there, you know, like, like that kind of thing. Nobody, nobody ever came out of Bethsaida and did anything of note, right? But Jesus called these guys to be just like him, and he used these guys to change the world. Um, last thing. Philip was from Bethsaida, and church tradition says, not, not scripture, right, church tradition. And what I mean by that is stories that were told and written down and passed along through generations, right? Not scripture, just church tradition. Church tradition says that Philip, after he spent his three years with Jesus, after he saw Jesus um, killed, after he saw Jesus resurrected, after he um, saw Jesus ascend, after Philip received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, church tradition says that Philip left Jerusalem and went to a city called Heropolis. Heropolis is a Greek city and it's, it's the ancient Greek equivalent of Las Vegas. It was a big city with lots of people. It was like a gambling hub, right? People went here to kind of just act crazy. And Philip from Dagsboro went to Las Vegas and he went with the intention to share the gospel. And again, church tradition holds that Philip won the entire city of Heropolis to Jesus. Philip from Bethsaida went to the big city and won the entire city to Jesus. Jesus believed his his disciples that he called could be like him. Jesus believes you can be like him. He believes you have what it takes to be like him. 
So, do you believe you have what it takes to be like him? Do you believe that, that you can be like him? What, what is your Heropolis? What's your giant that like Jesus wants to equip you to reach for him? Is it a workplace? Is it, uh, is it your family? Is it, um, is it a, a school campus? Like what is your Heropolis? What is your thing that God wants to equip you to win to him? Whatever your Heropolis is, Jesus believes you could be like him. Jesus believes you have what it takes. Let me pray for you this morning. God, we love you. We thank you um, for your word. And we thank you, God, that you believe that we can be like you. We, we thank you, God, that um, you call us and you continue to call us and you'll never stop calling us. We just have to answer the call. And I pray, God, for anyone here who might be doubting themselves, God, that you would meet them right where they're at, that you would, you would remind them gently that you believe in them, you believe that they can be like you. Help our unbelief. In Jesus' name. What we're going to do right now is the worship team is just going to lead us in a response time. And I just, want, I just want us to take this time and just allow the Holy Spirit to do the work that he does. Like, I don't want, I want to encourage you, don't leave just yet. We're not quite done yet. But the worship team is going to lead us in a song. And I want you to respond however you need to respond. If you need to pray, if you need to worship, if you need to meditate, just let it wash over you. What we just heard, what we just talked about, like however you need to respond, respond. But uh, we're going to take a few minutes and do that. Worship team, lead us. God, thank you that you believe that we can do it. That you believe we have what it takes to be like you. Thank you that you're calling us to be like you. And even in my doubt, even in my unbelief, help me to become more like you. Help us to become more like you, Jesus. Before we're dismissed this morning, um, I have a few next steps that I want to challenge us with. And these next steps are just tangible things that we can do to take the message and, and try to apply them to our life this week. And, and they're, more, um, they're more inward. Um, or reflective. So um, the first one is this. I'll memorize John 1.43. The next day Jesus said, or the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, come follow me. Jesus is calling you to follow him. He's calling you to be like him. And the last one is I will read John chapter 2, verse 1 through 12 in preparation for next week. We continue in our Gospel of John series next week. Um, it's the wedding at Cana, so um, you can prepare for that if you'd like. Um, I would highly recommend it. But um, before I pray um, and, and send us out, stand with me, if you would, please. Stand with me if you're physically able. And I will pray us out. God, we love you. We thank you for this day. We thank you, God, that for your grace and your mercy. And, and just, God, that you call us. You call us. You found us, not the other way around. 
thank you, God. I pray um, for blessing on my church family this week. I pray, God, that you would um, draw us closer to you each day this week. And finally, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you peace. And may you never doubt that you have what it takes to be like Jesus. Amen and amen. Thanks for coming, everybody. Thanks for worshiping with us. I hope you guys have a great week. We will see you next Sunday.